Philippians chapter three, verses one through 11. Let's start here. Let's start here. In chapter one, I believe that we got that for you up there on the slides. In chapter, in verse one, excuse me, Paul reiterates something he's been saying out through the entire letter and it's rejoice. Do you see that? Rejoice. Paul wanted the Philippians to be able to rejoice, to have joy, to, to lift their voices, their hearts, their gaze up to the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants that for us today. This is something we've been talking about. This has been the mega theme as we have looked at the book of Philippians. We haven't been in it in a while. We haven't shown you our definition of joy for a while. So let's go ahead and let's put up that definition of joy that Paul wants, that Jesus wants for us today. Joy in the Lord, we've defined it this way. It's our soul's deep inner gladness, not happiness, but our soul's deep inner gladness produced by the Holy Spirit's revealing God's goodness to me in Jesus Christ, which is present regardless of my circumstances. Happiness can be taken away. Joy is more of a choice and a lifestyle. And it changes me. It changes me from the inside out. Is this something Grace Church worth running after? Is this something worth going hard after? Well, here at almost the very heart of the letter to the Philippians, we find a mega joy thief, a joy robber, something that will hold us back from joy. In past sermons, we have called this dynamic legalism. In other sermons, we have called this idolatry. We can substitute Jesus for other things, and that's a dynamic that Paul wants us to steer clear of. That's where we're going this morning. That's what we're doing. How do I avoid this joy trap and make sure I've got my eyes focused squarely on Jesus? Before we hop in, let's go to the text. Let's read the text together. Philippians chapter three, verse one. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, uh, of, the, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. And it is written to us in love 
and for our good. Let's see how it's written to us in love. Let's see how it is for our good as we break down these two points. This is how we're organizing the text. This is how we're getting after it. First thing we're gonna see is the loss of something called a Jesus plus. We're gonna use that phrase a lot this morning, the loss of a Jesus plus. And then we have to see the gain of Christ alone. We have to see how the joy found in Christ alone pushes out those things in our heart that can draw us away from Jesus Christ. Let's break this down. Let's look at this. But as we do, come with me over here for a minute. All right, quick parentheses, side note, tangent. A lot of you are probably used to, if there's two points in the sermon, it's gonna be like half point one, half point two. Anybody? Right, and then you look at your watch, 25 minutes have gone by and we're not out of point one. Anybody? Yeah, looking at your phone, when are we getting out? Okay, here's the deal. We're covering the first eight verses in point one, so it's gonna be like two-thirds of, of our time. Then we're gonna cover the final four verses, one-third, so one's gonna be longer than the other, so hey, it's okay, it's gonna be good, right? All right, let's look at the loss of a Jesus plus. Look at the loss of a Jesus plus. Let's put it up on the screen. What do we mean when we say Jesus plus? Come over here. <laughs> Another tangent. All right. Some of you may have heard of a guy named Tolian Tavidian. You may have heard of the book, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You would also go, are we doing that? Isn't that the guy that had a moral fall and is no longer a pastor? No, he stole my phrase. I was, that was funny. I was using that phrase long before he did, so we're not talking about that book, we're not talking about that concept, we're actually gonna talk about the flip side of it. With that said, what is a Jesus plus? What is a Jesus plus? A Jesus plus is this, Jesus plus something equals my acceptance, my okayness, my love, my security, my confidence, my hope, my right standing before God, and my right standing before other people. Anytime you insert something alongside Jesus, you've got a Jesus plus and it's not healthy. How do we know that? How do we know that? Background info. What Paul is doing in these 11 verses is he is going after some false teachers, some false teachers who are introducing a Jesus plus into the Philippian congregation. Specifically, what they are doing when we look at verse two is this. They are saying to be a Christian, you have to yes, know Jesus, but you have to be circumcised and you have to follow the things of the law and you have to follow all those cultural things that make us Jewish. Do you see how it's Jesus plus circumcision? Jesus plus your obedience? Jesus plus following all these cultural traditions that Christ has now done away with? That right there, Philippians, will give you your sense that you really are accepted by God, that will make you acceptable to us. It will earn our love and God's love. It will give you the sense that your life is okay and it really will work out. It will give you your sense of security, both in this life and in the next. It is a false gospel, right? How do you get acceptance? How do you get love? How do you get security? What they are saying is this. It is through your own efforts, your own obedience, as you create a bullet point list that is a spiritual resume, you hand it to God, he stamps good, and then you've earned his blessings. You've earned his love. You've earned his smile. And friends, it doesn't work. Do you see the Jesus plus concept? Do you see why we're talking about? This is important. We got to get this right. The Jesus plus approach to life was dangerous then, and it's dangerous today. It shows up. Paul's really concerned about it. 
Let's look at the dangers of this Jesus plus approach. You see, as Paul in verses one through eight is destabilizing the authority of the false teachers, we're learning. We're learning four ways that a Jesus plus approach is dangerous. Go with me to verse one again. Do you see where Paul wants you to have joy? He wants us to have joy. Danger number one is this. If we have a Jesus plus something, we have to run after that something. We have to strive for it. We have to work for it. We have to perform for it. We have to maintain it. We have to keep it happy. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of doing. There's a lot of performing. Does that sound exhausting? That's not resting in the Lord. That's not resting in the Lord if you always have to keep adding to your resume, always stumbling, filling the pothole that is your stumble, and then saying, God, do you like me now? Right, that doesn't work, it's exhausting. You have to keep striving. So that's the first danger of a Jesus plus approach. It keeps you striving. Look at verses two and three. Here's the second danger. If the first danger is it keeps you striving, the second danger is this. It is a false hope and a false gospel. Look at verses two and three. Do you see in verse two, Paul says dogs, evildoers, mutilators, right? Those are strong words, right? Paul ain't playing, he ain't pulling punches, right? He's smacking this thing down. And then in verse three, look at that for we. Do you see the hinge between two and three, that for we? He's saying they're this, we are the true circumcision. We're the ones who worship God. He's saying they're not in the family. Sure looks to me like Paul's calling them not Christians. They are teaching something that is diametrically opposed to who our God is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Do you see that strong language? It is a false hope. If you're not running to the real God of the Bible, if you're not running to the real Jesus, if you're not resting in what he really did, but you're running in an opposite direction, right? The gap between you and God is going to grow. That's not rest. You will never feel close to God. Oh, friends, it's a false hope. It doesn't work. You won't be able to enjoy God if you don't feel close to him. And if you can't enjoy God, where's your joy gonna be, right? So here's the thing. You have to keep striving. It's a false hope. Look at verses four through six. Here we learn that when we run after a Jesus plus, when we have a Jesus plus in our life, you become prideful. You become self-righteous. We become that caricature that non-Christians use to make fun of Christians. Look at verses four through six. We talked about resumes, right? In verses four through six, what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, the false teachers are saying they're really good at following the law. They're handing you their resume and saying, look at my resume, it's good, you should listen to me. <laughs> That's cute. Here's my resume. And look at how Paul just rattles off all the ways in which he is a true Jew. He's a true Israelite. He even says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I ain't got any of that Greek taint. I'm a Hebrew through and through. They wanna put forward a resume? Friends, if offering a resume to God worked, I should know I did it, I lived it, I ran after it, and it didn't bring me joy. In fact, look at the second to last thing Paul says here. He says, in zeal, I became what? Say it, a per, a, what? A persecutor of the church. It made him angry. It made him judgmental. He got joy from a really corrupt place and that was throwing innocent people in prison and seeing them murdered. And he thought it was good. Do you wanna become an angry person? Do you wanna become self-righteous? Do you wanna become that judgy Christian? Oh, friends, it's not a way to live. 
It's not a way to live. It robs you of joy because you have to strive. It robs you of joy because it's a false hope. It robs you of joy because it makes you spiritually prideful in your own resume. But there's a fourth way. There's a fourth danger. Let's go to verses seven through eight. All right, come over here. Come with me. This is gonna be a little offensive for churchy people. Paul uses a very strong word in verse eight and I'm not gonna back away from it. All right, first off, let's go to verse seven. We see the danger is that a Jesus plus does what? Oh, it's utter garbage. Look at how Paul in verse seven says it is a loss. It is a loss. Loss here in the Greek is not neutral. It is deficit for businessmen. It's a liability, not an asset. If you're a psychologist, you would say it causes damage. If you're an engineer, you'd say it brings brokenness. As a pastor, you'd say you're stuck in sin, right? It is utter garbage. How can we say that? Verse eight reinforces and digs deeper into verse seven where Paul calls it what? He calls his old resume rubbish. Here's where I have to get a little offensive. Anybody heard where we're going? Anybody know where we're going? Yeah, 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 we're doing it. Rubbish translates the Greek word scubula. Everybody say scubula. In the Northwest Indiana, that's what you do when you go down a mountain with snow on it, right? And one of those slide things, you scubula down. No, that's not what it is. The Greek word there really means human excrement. Anybody read the King James? Look at your King James Bible, chapter three, verse eight. It uses the word dung. When we hand our spiritual resume to God, we're handing something super offensive, super repulsive, something that is utter garbage to the Lord. That's what Paul just said. Can I quote scripture? Can I preach the text? right? That's what he's saying. I'm, Paul is using shock value to say, hey, I need your attention. This is really important. I need you to see how utterly worthless this is. It won't work. I'm concerned for you. Do you see the dangers? You have to keep on striving. It's a false hope. It makes you self-righteous and judgmental and prideful, and it's utter garbage. It won't work. Now, how? How? How does this show up in our life today? Are there Jesus pluses in our lives today? Well, yeah, there are. Let's start with Jesus plus works. That's what Paul's going after. Let's start there. Let's start there. So often in conservative, traditional Christian circles, we can take good things and we can rely on them. We can take our accomplishments that are godly, that are righteous and good, and we can rest on them. Like here, here is what a Jesus plus works would look like today. Let's put up verses four and six again. Next slide. Oh, friends, <clears throat> I gotta find my notes. Got ahead of myself. All right, here we go. Here is what verses four through six would sound like today. I was born into a Christian family. Some of us would say I was homeschooled. Some of us would say I, I went to private Christian school. Others of, us would, others of us would say I didn't do either of those. I went to public school and did Awana, right? From the eighth day, I did those things. I'm from a tribe of good Christians with a respectable family and last name. I am a Christian of Christians. I still have my signed purity card. Somewhere I've still got my what would Jesus do bracelet. And I still highlight and journal in my Bible. As to the law, I am a conservative Bible believer who votes a pro-life agenda and a straight Republican ticket. As to zeal, I have the best anti-atheist memes. 
I have the best anti-democratic Facebook posts. As to righteousness, I have lived a good, clean life and stayed away from impure movies, ads, music, and language, and it's why I always get the good parking spot at Strachan Van Til, because the Lord loves me and blesses me. Are any of those things wrong? Are any of those things bad? No, no, we should strive for those things. Do not hear what I'm not saying. No, 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 they're good, they're good, they're good. But are these the things that give you a good night's rest? Are these the things that you look to so you can hold your head high and look another man or another woman in the eyes? Are these the things that should be the basis for looking down on other people? No. No, they're not. No, they're not. Friends, Jesus plus works still does not work today. Oh, friends, we've got to get the law right. Here's another Jesus plus. Here's another Jesus plus. We're going conservative. Don't worry. We're going to make the liberals angry too, all right? Here's another Jesus plus. Jesus plus doctrine. Jesus plus right belief makes me okay. Whoa, Pastor John, what are you saying? Hold on. Does right belief matter? Yes, deeply, absolutely. Sometimes we get called a doctrinal church, all right? But does having right belief make you right before God? Is that what you take pride in? Is that what you rest in? Do we hang our hats on the fact that we've got all of our doctrinal I's dotted and T's crossed? Does that work? No. Now, do not hear what I am not saying. By all means, go and contend for the truth. Please do it. Check out my Facebook page sometime. I post about Jesus. I try to once a week. But do not use the law or doctrine as a measuring stick for your own worth or for another person's worth. Is that fair? There's Jesus plus works. There's Jesus plus doctrine. There's also this. There's other Jesus pluses. Today, in our larger Christian society, Jesus plus justice, Jesus plus multiculturalism is becoming very, very popular. As I left the West Coast, I see so many of my friends. As I left the South, I see so many of my friends who used to post so much about the cross, about their need for Jesus, And now they've taken on an angry tone of voice, right? Like, is justice good? Is our God just? Does the Bible commend justice? Absolutely in spades, right? Like, let justice roll down like waters. That's in the Bible. Is multiculturalism good? Does God want all of his children getting along? Absolutely. But as I watch my friends and I watch what they post, they don't post anymore about Jesus' blood. They don't post anymore about his cross. No, no. No, 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 no. Here's what they post. They're good at criticizing other people. They're very good at criticizing other churches through the lens of justice and the lens of multiculturalism, but they don't ever post anymore their own need for Christ. It's look at all these other people who need Christ, need his justice. I've got it figured out. They can take a very sharp tone of voice with conservative and traditional Christians, but they don't hear their own tone of voice. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. You can have a Jesus plus justice, a Jesus plus multiculturalism, and really what we're talking about is Jesus plus 
cultural relevance. It's an empty hole. It's an empty hole. There's other ways we can go to Jesus pluses and discover them in our own life. When you go to lust to fill your soul's thirst, isn't that just Jesus plus carnality? Another way of going to the flesh? Uh, how, about, how about Jesus plus beauty? Jesus plus image? How about Jesus plus health? Jesus plus a certain group of friends? Jesus plus the right connections? There's all different kinds of ways we can glory in our flesh, put confidence in our actions, put confidence in our accomplishments, and keep building resumes that falsely tell us we're okay, we're all right. The sad thing is, none of these Jesus pluses bring true and lasting joy. They block joy, they remove joy, all of those dangers that Paul put on the table are still in effect today. But here's the worst danger. Here's the saddest part about having a Jesus plus. When it's Jesus plus something, you're saying Jesus isn't enough. Somehow, some way, you're saying the cross isn't enough. The resurrection isn't enough. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit's not enough. Him reigning over my life and the sure promise that he's coming back for me is not enough. And that's not a place to live from. Oh, brothers and sisters, we've got to watch out for this. A Jesus plus is no plus at all. Do you see how it's another word for idolatry? Do you see how it's another word for a substitute savior? How? How do we identify if we have this in our life? How do we know? Pastor John, that wasn't fair. You said everybody in this room has one. Yeah, I confessed one during the Ten Commandments. How do you identify it? How do you know? Help me out here, right? How about this? Here's some diagnostic questions that we can all ask. What criticisms would leave you especially clobbered? What disappointments would leave you devastated and in despair? What successes would make you feel superior to other people? What would the answer to those questions be? Here's another one, here's another one. Think of an area where you want to be more holy, where you want to grow to be more like Jesus. What's the main driver in your change? What's the main motivation for changing? Is it to be more acceptable to other people? Is it to be more attractive to other people? Or is it a genuine desire to be more like Christ? That can help you see there might be a Jesus plus lurking under the hood. Here's another one, here's another one. What is my identity really grounded in? Who am I, right? Am I the athlete? Am I the successful business person? Am I the smart person? Am I the reliable person? Am I the good stay-at-home mom? Am I the good providing dad and husband, right? Like we can look at these good things, elevate them to God things, and they can all become a Jesus plus. How you answer these questions really can help diagnose what's going on in your heart. And what do we do? What do we do when we've said, oh, that's me, I've got that. There's an idol, there's a functional savior, there's a salvation substitute. What, what do we do, what do we do? How do we, how do we get rid of it? How do we cut it out? Friends, we turn to the joy that we have in Jesus. If you see the loss of a Jesus plus, let's explore the gain of Christ alone. Christ alone, how do we do that? How do we find joy in Christ and in Christ alone? 
Well, Paul gives us that in the last four verses. In the last four verses, he gives us three ways in particular we can see and know the joy and be brought back to the joy we have in Jesus. And that joy expels and pushes out all other false joys. Go to verse eight. Go to verse eight. There's the first thing that we can do. Do you see the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord? That's the only time in all of his letters Paul uses the phrase, my Lord. This is personal. This is passionate. This is intense. This is deep. This is relational. We're in emotional territory, not just dry doctrinal intellectual territory. We have to know Christ. We get to know Christ. Too many people today reduce Jesus to a set of beliefs, a set of teachings. It's like we forget he's a real person, not just when he walked the earth, but Jesus right now is in heaven with a physical body, is present with us right now by the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We can know him, right? Like he has a personality. He has a sense of humor. He has likes. He has dislikes. He has a way of looking at things and we can know that and we can know him. No, we cannot treat Jesus in Bible verses like a baseball card, right? Where you take your favorite, I don't know, pro wrestler, uh, pro baseball player, pro football player, pro basketball player, whatever. You take their card, you look on the back, you read a little blurb about them, you get some stats and you think you know them. No, you know about them, but you don't know them, right? We can't know about Jesus. We get to know Jesus. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference? Yeah, good, thank you. All right, there we go. We can know Jesus as we go to him in his word, as we go to him in prayer. Let me demonstrate this. Number one, in this life, you will walk through dark valleys. These are great opportunities to go to Jesus in the word, to go to Jesus in prayer, and to know him and to learn him, right? Like when you hurt, you go to him, and you find out he hurts for you. Right, like you can know him. When, when, when you are grieving, when you are lamenting, you go to him and you find out he's grieving with you. When you feel pain, you go to him and you find out he knows what that is like when life casts the shadow of darkness across our path and we're in the valley. We can go to him and we can know him and know that among other things, he's a comforter. Here's another example. In this life, We walk the mountaintops at times, right? Some of you might be in this mountaintop season right now. In those times when we're excited, we can go to Jesus and we can find he's excited with us. In our successes and our accomplishments, we can go to him and we can find out he's the one who authored them, right? When we fight sin and we feel like, hey, I'm winning, I'm winning. I wasn't like that three weeks ago or three months ago. We're winning, we're winning. You can go to Jesus and find out he's been rooting for you all along, giving you the power, giving you the strength to fight that fight. So often we go to Jesus in the lows. We don't go to him in the highs, but when we go to him in the highs, what do we find? He's an encourager. He's a builder and he's for you. We can know him in that way. Oh, Grace Church. Do you see why Paul talks about the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus? There's joy in all circumstances because you get to know Jesus. That's wonderful. That's good news. And here's the thing. No one could take that away, right? Like like to take away the ability to know Jesus, we'd have to rip the Holy Spirit out of ourselves. Good luck with that. There's joy in knowing Jesus, but that's not all. Look at verse nine. 
Look at verse nine. All that talk about righteousness, what does that mean? There's joy in having Jesus's worth. There's joy in having Jesus's worth. Paul says, don't give me any righteousness of my own. No, it's not gonna work. Give me Jesus's righteousness. Why? Let's unpack that. Let's unpack that. What does that mean? What does that mean? As Jesus Christ walked this earth, he was sinless. He was blameless. He was righteous. He had his own resume. And what did God the Father think of Jesus' resume? It's spotless, so God the Father treasured it. It's perfect, it's sinless, so God the Father valued it. He is our spotless lamb, and so as God looks at Jesus' resume, he sees great, high worth in it. When you become a Christian, do you know what happens? You get Jesus' worth. Like he cleans your rubbish resume by nailing it to the cross. He gives you his perfect resume that's of great worth, right? Like think about it. All the great things Jesus said, all the great things that he did, all those times that he fought sin and he did it perfectly. Think of each one as like a fabric, right? Stitched into a robe and he robes you around that. So when you stand before God the Father, he does not see your resume, he sees Jesus's resume. He does not see your dirty actions, he does not see your past, he does not see your present, he does does not see your future. He sees them, but he sees them as you're robed in Christ. He looks at you and sees Jesus. You have his worth. He now treasures you. He values you so much that he calls you his son. He calls you his daughter. And there's joy in that. There's joy in that. In any circumstance, you can know I still have my Savior's worth. And no one can take that away, right? Like who's gonna rip up Jesus's resume? Good luck with that. In Christ alone, there's joy because you have his worth. There's a third and final way that we have joy in the Lord. We have joy in Jesus. It's this, look at verses 10 and 11. There's joy because we have Jesus's power. Here's verses 10 and 11 in summary. When you know Jesus, You know the power that raised him from the dead. You have the power of the resurrection at work in you and not just on Easter Sunday, but every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year remaining in your life. It's working right now in you. It's working to change you, to renew you, to scrub you from the inside so your outside changes. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is good news. One pastor tells this story. Let me illustrate it this way. He said he once went to Italy, or he heard, of a, he heard of another pastor who went to Italy, saw the tomb of a man that was buried 400 years ago. 400 years ago, this man, when he died, had a massive stone slab put over his tomb. Why? He didn't believe in the resurrection, but just in case it happened, he did not want to be raised from the dead. It's like he was going to go for all eternity or something. I don't know, it's really weird, right? Roll with it, because it's true, all right? (laughs) Here's the rub, here's the catch. A little acorn fell into his grave. A little acorn fell into his grave, and what happened over time? What do you think happened? As it germinated, as it sprouted, as it grew over the course of 400 years, it punched through that slab and cracked it open. If a physical seed bearing that kind of power can crack a massive stone slab, how much more can the seed of the power of Jesus' resurrection working in your life crack the slab of your insecurity, your fears, your doubts, your worries, 
your anxieties, your bitterness, your inability to love, your inability to forgive, your need to be in control, your need to be a people pleaser, right? What else? Your need to be satisfied in other things, your need to prove yourself, right? Your need to lie, to have a good reputation. How much more can the power of the resurrection crack those things in your life? It is a fact that those things will change. How do you know? Because Jesus rose from the dead. There is joy in that. And can that joy be stopped? Can you stop Jesus from rising from the dead? Once again, good luck with that. Amen, hallelujah, what a savior. Let me close by telling you the story of Michelle. Let me tell you the story of Michelle. I knew Michelle in California. She was an engineer trained at Virginia Tech University, a very good school for engineering. A car wreck left her bedridden and unable to move anything from her neck down. Her life consisted of tubes, wires, and special headgear where she could just kind of move like that and use that and her microphone to navigate her computer. Her life was reduced to sending emails and surfing the web. I remember I'd go visit her in the nursing home. Usually every Friday afternoon after I was done studying, I was in seminary at the time, and I remember going to visit her, and she always had, she was something else. She always had the biggest smile on her face. She never, without fail, had a long laundry list of questions to ask me about Jesus and about the Bible. Why? Why? She used her spare time to run hard after Jesus. She would do those awkward, painful neck movements to get online and listen to sermons, to read her Bible, to get into online commentaries and she'd come up with all these different crazy thoughts, some good, some not so good, but she just wanted to know her savior. It was such a joy to sit with her, why? Because she had joy in Jesus. This is a lady who had been stripped of everything, but she had her joy in Christ and it drove her mostly dead body. That's what Jesus can do for you. I mean, think about her life. She could have very easily struggled with her situation, right? Like, like her car wreck should have left her feeling unknown by the world and cut off from her family. It should have left her feeling worthless, useless for offering anything to society, to her fellow people, or to her God. It should have left her feeling powerless, unable to lift a finger and completely relying on other people to keep her alive, to even change the TV for her. It didn't. It didn't. Why? Because she knew Jesus, and she knew that he knew her too. Why? Because she knew where her worth came from, his perfect life, his righteousness. Because she knew she did have a power in her life, the power of the resurrection bringing life to her mostly dead body. Look at verse eight again. Look at verse eight again. She had lost everything. She really had lost all things, but she learned that it was all a loss anyways when you compared it to Jesus. That's how she had joy. Grace Church, oh, let's steer clear of that Jesus plus mentality. Let's lock in on it and send a heat-seeking gospel missile at it. Go to Christ in the word. Go to him in your prayers. Focus on him. Look for him on every page of the scriptures. Please, as you turn to him and him alone, you'll find your need for other things lessening. You will find that you know him better and that that's 
okay, that's good. You'll find that your worth is more and more grounded in him and not your life situations, and you'll find that you have a power to change that no power of hell can ever stop. That right there is a wonderful game. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you are good. Your name is kind. Father God, we need you, and oh, how we need you. Oh, Father God, your mercies are rich. They really are new every morning. Father God, we pray that you be with us now as we come to the table, this visible representation of Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' power, the worth that we have in him, this gospel made so manifest. Oh, Father, strengthen us now as we come to this table. Amen. Amen.